More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Wednesday edition Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we roll into the program. As we are speaking to you, unless it has ended in the last few minutes, they are finally, the FBI is, getting around to searching Joe Biden's Delaware Beach House to see whether or not there are any classified documents there. This now is essentially three months after the first classified documents were found at the Penn Biden Center. We know that the FBI has searched there. We know that the FBI has searched now in the Wilmington, Delaware home, primary residence of Joe Biden. They are now at the Rehoboth Beach House searching. Here is a news update Uh, on that search, which is, as we said, currently going on. This is NBC's Kristen Welker discussing the consensual, consensual search. We are told, and this is an important point, that there is no search warrant, that the White House Counsel's Office is investigating, and that this was planned. But such an important point, and I just want to underscore that. According to a source familiar with the matter, the White House Counsel's Office is cooperating fully with this search. There was no search warrant that was issued. This was pre-planned, so this was not a surprise search. This is something that they've been doing in coordination with the White House Counsel's Office. Can I just All right, play so what you say? Just real quick. Remember, remember Frank the Tank in old school when he starts swinging the chair around, as we've said, she's basically screaming at everybody. It's a planned search. You got to keep your composure. You got to keep your composure. I don't think people are feeling so good. In the Democrat Party right now. Look, we said on this program, as soon as this story broke, that there had to be a search of Joe Biden's beach house and there had to be a search of Joe Biden's primary residence. It took months for this actually to occur. And I saw Miranda Devine, uh, a friend of ours who posted on Twitter, but it kind of tied into a lot of, of what we have discussed. I will be stunned if they find any classified documents at Joe Biden's beach house because they have now had three months 
on top of the screw up at the Wilmington residence where they also found classified documents, surely they have done away with whatever classified documents might be in the beach house. Joe Biden has traveled there multiple times since the uh, since the initial discovery of the documents took place in the Penn Biden Center. I just I would be flabbergasted if even if there were classified documents there, Buck, if they're still recoverable. So I think that part of this is that they're trying to move through the special counsel into Biden as as quickly as they can. And so that's why they're now they're reporting on how, oh, it's a planned search. And you could tell the reporters like, yeah, don't everybody freak out. OK, it's not a it's not a Mar-a-Lago raid here. We're not freaking out. You It's a little bit of nervousness. Um but I think that their plan is to get this done before the reelection season really is underway in a meaningful way. And that, and so they hope by by talking about how they're planning the searches and, and they're making sure there's nothing left there, they can essentially put this aside. I increasingly view this and look, it's really tough to see this, Clay, right? I mean, it's tough to see this in advance. I think that there is the a lot of the anxiety of this isn't even so much. Oh my gosh, the sitting president is a moron, which they knew all along when they voted for this guy. That's actually not new. Right. But it's the recognition that it does have to be Biden and he is making this a lot harder and he's not going to be able to run from the basement. He's not going to be able to have COVID to sort of, you know, remember the whole thing about Trump was, Oh, he mishandled COVID and we're in all people were miserable and they voted some of them. And let's not get into how many voted. We'll talk about that another day for change from the misery, right? As you've said a million times, does Donald Trump, if the election's held in 2019, does Donald Trump lose? No, he does not lose. Even if they're trying to do everything they can to beat him and rig the game in every way they could, Trump would have won comfortably in 2019. And so I think right now with the document situation, what they see playing out is we have no choice but this guy and this guy. Because remember, originally people thought, oh, they're trying to push him aside. He's a bridge. and maybe there were a few people involved in this process who did see that. I'm, I'm not saying that that theory was entirely off or that. I mean, look, I thought for a second there maybe it was true. But now, given the way this process is playing out, that the, the fact play at some level that they have put this special counsel on it, I think means they're trying to cross the T's, dot the I's and get past this before the election. And I think they're also having some Hillary email trauma come up in their minds because they thought they were going to be able to put that one to bed, and they weren't. And this one, it's not clear. You know, to your point, if they find stuff in Rehoboth at this stage, you've got to think that Joe Biden was papering his walls with classified and just didn't care. I mean, it was totally reckless. Yeah, and remember, he's speaking for the State of the Union on Tuesday. So, uh, so six days from now, February seventh, I believe, and you think the State of the Union before all this classified document scandal blew up. You do the State of the Union, maybe you wait a couple of weeks, and then sometime late February, early March, the official rollout of Joe Biden's running for president again in 2024 happens. Has the classified document scandal created a challenge to that schedule in some way? I would say probably yes. By the way, we should mention Nikki Haley is scheduled to announce, according to multiple reports, on February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day, just a couple of weeks from now, that she will be officially uh, contending in the 2024 Republican primary. 
joining, and I didn't even know he was in there, John Bolton, who evidently announced at some point, uh, and Donald Trump with the expectation of Pompeo, Pence, uh, maybe Tim Scott. Certainly, I think uh, that Ron DeSantis is going to run. All of those figures stepping into the fray, and that ties me into this, Buck. I saw this quote come out uh, from uh, Donald Trump, and I'm curious how you would analyze this. But Trump on Truth Social is stepping up his battle with Ron DeSantis. We played you the audio yesterday where DeSantis, I think, took a pretty, like, kind of uh, a little bit under the radar shot at Trump by saying the people render a judgment on re-election. In my case, uh, meaning DeSantis saying, in my case, I won by 19 points. Trump obviously did not win in 2020. uh, And Trump has just posted on uh, Truth Social The real Ron is a all-caps rhino globalist who closed quickly down Florida and even its beaches, loved the vaccines, and wasted big money on testing. How quickly people forget. Okay, so so this is going to be an issue. Um, We're going to always look to what we know, right? I mean, if Trump says, you know, Ron doesn't have the persona, the skills, the expertise to run the country. People can argue that one way or the other. But when Trump says that Ron is guilty of shutting down super early and not doing a good job on COVID and loving the vaccines, he is going directly into the strength of Ron DeSantis. The strongest single area. I was fleeing to Florida in the summer of 2020 personally. Because of what Ron DeSantis did in the state. Okay. So, you know, we we can't get into this. Who do you believe? You know, me or your lying eyes situation with Trump on this stuff. It's not going to go well. There are other areas where he can make a, you know, he can say, I'm the, Trump saying, I'm the only one who can win. I'm the only one who can govern. I'm the only one who can. Those are all areas where I think, you know, he's got, he's got the upper hand. He does. Yeah. Um, Trump saying, Ron DeSantis was bad on COVID and liked the vaccines, but Trump said that the vaccine saved 100 million lives a week ago. Yeah. So he's, he's gotta, he's gotta pick his lane here because we are paying attention. We are seeing what's going on. I think it's the worst single avenue of attack Donald Trump could have on Ron DeSantis. I mean, this is because, like saying Glenn Youngkin is too short. Glenn Youngkin yeah, is like six, right. nine. Okay. Yeah. He's not too short. Say what no, you want about it. But. Uh, yeah. It is. And, and to me, what it does is reinforce. Frankly, Trump's failures on COVID because you can criticize Ron DeSantis for a lot, right? That's what politics is. You get criticized on a variety of different fronts. If you told the DeSantis people, where do you want Trump to fight the battle of the 2024 presidential nominating fight on whether DeSantis treated COVID too seriously and locked down too aggressively? That, Why have almost- that's the lane. Why have 350,000 people moved to Florida in the last two and a half years? We yeah. all know why. Because of what Florida did during COVID. This is the, the single weakest. And, and it's, you know, dude, you and I, we, we, we voted for Trump. We like Trump. Yeah. I like Donald Trump as a person. You like Donald Trump. He did a great job in office as president. He's got to go after the things that are, are, are going to make sense and going to resonate. I don't know. I don't know who's advising him right now, but whoever's advising him in the way he's going after DeSantis is not is not serving him well. Honestly, well, De- DeSantis insisted that every single school in Florida be open and that no one be required to wear masks. 
in July and August of 2020, Buck. That that isn't. I mean, kids in Philadelphia and parts of California are still wearing masks to this day. This is the single worst Stop. avenue we can attack him. I also think it elevates DeSantis uh, because right now Trump's in the lead in 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 many states, certainly in national polling. But I think when Trump is attacking a guy who hasn't even announced for the office yet, one, it looks like he's afraid of him, in my opinion. Now, I don't think Trump's afraid of anybody, but I think that's how it comes off. And two, I think he's choosing to attack him in the the worst possible space. Yeah, look, you and I both know this from just being a, a public person who, who gets attacked. They're the people who attack you even who are public people themselves, and you ignore because it's just not, you know, when Keith Olbermann, yeah. uh, you know, attacks you MSNBC, or me, which he likes to do, all-star, he's, yeah. he's sad. I feel yeah. I feel badly. He's a sad old man. No one cares. You know, he, there's nothing. So it's not worth getting into it with him. But occasionally somebody will throw, you know, somebody will throw a jab or a right cross at you, and, you know, it's go time, right? You're kind of saying, you know, Trump is kind of saying, that uh, you know, he thinks that Ron is the guy that he has to throw shots at first, yeah. which is indicative of a concern over the the dynamic right now and the momentum. And and I just think that you know to attack Ron on COVID is very. I mean, I mean look, does anyone? I don't know what we'll open up how, phone lines. I mean, yeah, does anyone think that that's actually who, a valid? Because I mean, Trump was Trump was angry at Georgia for opening too early. Yes, I spoke to the president in the Oval in May of 2020 about COVID, and I was begging him, sir, you got to stop with these. He let Fauci take over. I hate to say it. Fauci and Burks were calling the shots. And early on, you could say that's not his fault because, you know, they were the experts, etc. By May, June 2020, it had to be, you know, he should have ousted them. They should have been sidelined. So if we're going to if this is going to be a fight over who handled COVID better, it's got to be a fight over who handled for Trump. China trade, the economy, the border. Those are areas where Trump can can do some victory laps. COVID? Not so much. 800-282-2882. Maybe some of you disagree and think that DeSantis is vulnerable there. Buck, my general position is it's hard to judge anybody on March of 2020 because it was such a total and complete cluster, you know what? Uh, and there was some time there where DeSantis shut down beaches and 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 that was happening everywhere in the nation. But by April and May, DeSantis was leading one of the freest states in the country. And that is just, I think, the single worst area where Trump could be attacking him. There were people before Trump, before DeSantis's reelection, there were governors in far more red states, meaning just, you know, they totally Republican top to bottom, who refused to protect people from vaccine mandates in the private sector. Yeah. Ron DeSantis said, nah, not in my state. You're not doing that. You're not forcing shots people don't need into their arms on pain of firing them from their job. There are anti-discrimination laws. There are a lot of employment laws in the books. Some governors wanted to take big money from big pharma. Some governors had other things in mind. Ron was good on this one. Yeah, and Buck, I'll just say from my personal experience, I moved my whole family to Florida in May of 2020 and lived down there for that month. Kids were out of school. We spend a lot of time in Florida. And... Uh, DeSantis was really good mm. in May of 2020. All the restaurants were opening up. Uh, you know, by May of 2020, Florida was basically 100% hotels were open, basically 100% back to normal. How many places in America can you say that about? I think it's hard yeah. to attack him. You know, if you're going to criticize Tom Brady, 
probably best not to say he doesn't know how to throw a football, right? Or, I he, mean, or he didn't win enough Super Bowls. He right. lost three Super Bowls. That's true. He won seven. But what Trump's doing is like going after Brady because he lost too many Super Bowls. 800-282-2882. If we're missing something, folks, on this, we always want to hear from you. It's going to be an ongoing conversation. I just want to point this out, too. You know what matters the most? We don't have four more years of a Democrat running this country. How much more damage do you think Joe Biden can do with four more years? I, I really think about that one for a second. We got to get this one right. This next election is critical, and you can already feel these these dynamics and this battle playing out right now. If your cell phone service is with AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, guess what? You're paying too much. Switch to Pure Talk. That's my cell phone company of choice. And save more than 50 or 60 bucks a month for the same quality of service. That's because Pure Talk uses the same towers and network as the big companies. It's great nationwide 5G service at a better price. What makes switching to Pure Talk even better is the company itself. It's veteran-owned, U.S.-based customer service team. Just to give you a sense of them, they don't put up with anything woke, so you don't see them advertising on all the fake news networks and doing that nonsense. And plus, with Pure Talk, you'll get blazing fast data talk and text for just 30 bucks a month. Keep your phone, keep your phone number, and switch in, switch over in as little as 10 minutes. Plus, Pure Talk has a first-month risk-free guarantee. Try it if you're not completely happy. Say, Clay and Buck, Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, voices of sanity in an insane world. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. 
Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Second hour of Clay and Buck gets going right now. Thanks for being here with us. As we said yesterday, as we were talking about the Tyree Nichols case, uh, we have to look at law enforcement. We have to look at the narrative around all this based on the facts and the data. We can't think of anybody better to help us do that right now than Heather McDonald. She is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, contributing editor at City Journal, author of The War on Cops. And she just has a piece out now at The Spectator. Uh, Tyree, this is the, the title, Tyree Nichols and the New Black Cop White Supremacy. Thanks for being with us, Heather. As always, appreciate it. Such a pleasure to be with you, Buck and, Sec- Buck and Clay. Thank you. So tell us, Heather, you know, this piece, you're getting right into it. We we discussed this a bit on the show. Five black cops beat a black man uh, to death. We all condemned it. It was excessive use of force. It's quite obvious from the video. And there were a lot of people claiming white supremacy in the media. What is this all about? It's about the fact that racism is now an unfalsifiable proposition. The race industry is not going to ever cede ground they have now got a new rule for racism, which is anything bad that happens to a black person is a function of racism, regardless of the intentions or race of the perpetrator. Uh, so they've got it covered. And we have, the, you know, the tragedy of the beating now becoming a farce, given the, the reaction of Benjamin Crump, of the New York Times, of the race activists, of Joe Biden, eager as always to slot in his favorite narrative about blacks being right to fear for their lives every time they go outside, their daily fear and trauma. None of this is borne out by the facts. Here's the facts. The police are the saviors in the black community. They are not the oppressors. When the police back off, more black lives are taken. Black lives are taken by the dozens every single day. There are dozens of blacks killed in homicide. That's more than all white and Hispanic homicide victims combined, even though blacks are only 13% of the population. And the people doing those killings of blacks are overwhelmingly other blacks. They are not the police. In 2022, there were seven unarmed, allegedly unarmed blacks killed by police officers in fatal shootings. That's out of a homicide population. We don't know 2022 numbers yet, but in 2020, there were 10,000 blacks killed in homicide. There's 44 million blacks in the country. Compare that to seven unarmed, allegedly unarmed blacks killed by the police. That is not the problem in the black community. Criminals are. Heather, one of the conversations we had, first of all, thanks for coming on. You do fantastic work looking at the data and analyzing it from a policing perspective. One of the conversations Buck and I were having yesterday, and I think it's one that certainly the nation needs to have, is how difficult it is becoming to recruit police who want to be willing to do this job, given the amount of peril that they're under, the increasing numbers of police that have been killed in the past several years, but also the uh, just absolute disrespect that they receive in many parts of the country now. How difficult is it becoming to recruit police, and how is that going to make their job that much more difficult, not only in terms of the people doing the job, but also in terms of the relationships that they have to develop? 
Well, you're absolutely right to take this beyond just the recruitment and retention crisis, but, but let's look at that. It is an absolute catastrophe. There is no, I don't know of a single police department that is doing well at this point. Post-George Floyd, the narrative that became decibel level high at, after Michael Brown, phony narrative about hands up, don't shoot, and the Ferguson effect of cops depolicing and criminals getting emboldened. After George Floyd race riots, you had every mainstream institution in this country, banks, corporations, universities, press, all declaring that the criminal justice system was systemically racist. America was systemically racist, of course, but above all, it was the cops. And this is not an encouraging thing to hear if you're thinking about joining a police force. There's no other profession from day one on the job. The elite assumption is is that you are a racist. So we have attrition at enormously high rates, an impossibility to recruit. And as you say, from an officer's perspective, when there are not enough job people to help you out, you don't have backup. If you're facing an armed, violent, and resisting suspect, there may be nobody available for the dispatcher to call to help you out. That's going to make you less likely, quite appropriately, understandably, to engage in discretionary, proactive policing. If you see somebody on a, on a corner at 2 a.m. hitching up his waistband as if he has a gun, you don't have to make that stop because there has not been a crime yet. But if you're a good proactive cop trying to protect that community from yet another retaliatory gang shooting, you should get out of your car and ask a few questions. But if you know that your department is way abusing overtime, is stretched, that there are no patrol cars available, you're going to drive on by because you don't want to get in a, in a potentially lethal confrontation with somebody. And, and the problem as well, we now have a perfect storm where we are desperate to recruit at the same time that the pressure has been on for years to recruit on the basis of race to have race trump merit. And what happens when, when, when that is the case and, and departments lower educational and cognitive standards and they lower the requirements of a clean criminal background check in order to broaden the pool of potentially uh, qualifiable recruits, you get corruption scandals and you get more excessive force. But that will probably continue, you know, now that we have the, the theme that, well, uh, blacks are white supremacists, but the, the issue is black victims, black victims, black victims, even though uh, we've now decided that black cops are racist too, I can guarantee you that the response to this terrible, terrible beating will be both depolicing and an increased push for diversity hiring. We're speaking to Heather McDonald. Uh, she's got a piece that we've linked up at clayandbuck.com. Uh, Tyree Nichols and the New Black Cop White Supremacy. She also has a book coming out, When Race Trumps Merit, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. Heather, are we seeing, based on the response that is occurring in, in cities now, not in all, but in some, are, are Democrats at the point, because let's be honest, it's Democrats who run these cities, whether it's Memphis or L.A. or New York, are they at the point where they're starting to have to bow to the reality of facts when it comes to policing and move more toward a rational approach? Or have you have you just seen the activists continue to get their way? I mean, where's the momentum? 
Well, after this beating, I hear in renewed calls for abolition. Uh, but, but you know, I think the conservatives were wrong strategically. They put too much emphasis initially on defunding and the, the actual word itself. There, there, in fact, were very few Democratic po- politicians who were actually calling for defunding or dismantling police departments. And, and Biden could rightly say, oh, well, look, at I've, I've put funding in my, you know, George Floyd bill or whatever for more cop hiring at the same time that his rhetoric – makes it virtually impossible that that funding will be taken up for cop hiring because nobody wants to join a profession where the president tells you that you're preying on black children every single day. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm, uh, there's a lot of division I know in conservative ranks about what to, how to read the midterm elections. I, as a pessimist by nature, do not think that the midterm elections showed that the country is ready to say, you know what, the police are the solution. They're not the problem. So we haven't we suffered enough, basically, Heather. We haven't yeah. suffered enough. That's not where enough. we are. Yeah. Not enough. Heather, I think this is not getting enough attention, and I'm sure that you know the latest numbers uh, and the trend lines. Police are being murdered, killed on the job in massively increasing numbers over the last three or four years. How prevalent is that becoming, and what does the statistical data reflect that not only are cops being disrespected more uh, by citizens, that's leading directly to more cops dying on the job? Oh, it certainly is. I mean, in in last year there were 73 cops that were murdered. That was a massive jump. And when you do it on a per capita basis, looking at those 73 murdered cops compared to a police force nationally of about under 700,000 officers. And you compare that to the number of unarmed blacks who were killed by cops. And, and, and traditionally, black males have made up 42% of all cop killers nationwide, even though they're 6% of the population. A police officer is 400 times as likely to be killed by a black male as an unarmed black is to be killed by a police officer. People are resisting arrest, and of course, every time you demonize the cops, as we're doing now, you're going to increase hatred, resentment, tensions in the community, and resisting arrest. Uh, and that puts officers' lives at danger in danger. And when you delegitimate the policing profession and the criminal justice system more generally, as Biden did both before and after the release of the of the uh, Tyree Nichols video saying, well, you know, we still don't we have a, a criminal justice system that refuses to mete out fair treatment uh, that those words have very, very serious consequences. People approach interactions uh, with hostility. They are less inclined to obey lawful orders we could end virtually all cop killings tomorrow that is officer involved killings when the officer shoots a civilian if people complied with commands and did not resist arrest now i'm sympathetic to tyree nichols taking off at this point although we do not have the full tapes perhaps he was violently resisting arrest before trying to grab a gun this well may be true because there are parts of the videos we have not seen but from what we see i actually feel sorry for the guy and i I understand him taking off and running but as a general matter if the cop tells you to do something you follow commands and and you will not be shot or roughed up period 
I, I'm glad you're bringing that up, Heather, because that is what I tell my kids, and that's what I would encourage everybody out there listening who has kids and grandkids. Uh, look, you, if you believe your constitutional rights are being violated by a police officer, you have time to challenge that in the court. Comply with their initial demands as best you can. Do not accelerate uh, the, uh, the 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 intensity of that uh, of that violence by not complying. I wish everyone in America would share that message with their kids and their grandkids. Uh, and I say kids and grandkids because, by and large, young men are the ones that are getting in trouble for violent acts and are creating and acting violently, uh, Heather. So I'm glad that you're pointing that out. Didn't you think that, uh, based on what we've seen so far of the Tyree Nichols video, that it was actually far worse than the George Floyd video? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was deliberate uh, aggression. Yes. And it, it was also, I mean, the tactics are just abysmal these guys it makes the keystone cops look like they're a you know finely tuned corps de ballet with balrishnikov or something it is just atrocious i don't know if these cops were from the start incapable of absorbing training or if they uh simply don't have decent training in memphis they clearly need training in controlling stress but yes they are they are what appears to be, and again, we, we do not know the context. We do not know whether he was high on drugs. We don't even have a proper autopsy, but it appears to be gratuitous use of force. And uh, Chauvin was stolid and impassive. Uh, there's many police officers who will tell you that the hold he was using was, in fact, uh, legitimate under Minneapolis rules. Uh, but but this was something far beyond that. And I've also had officers tell me that it looks like they are all uh, reluctant to get down on the ground with him and use, say, their knee to restrain him, as as we saw with Chauvin, and are standing over him and, and administering these completely feckless blows. Somebody has suggested that that may also be one of the usual unintended consequences of our overreaction to uh to the chauvin uh killing and and now maybe people are not willing to get down and use legitimate tactics and are are instead resorting to the blows and the batons and the and the kicks heather mcdonald keep up the fantastic work we appreciate you giving uh the time to us today encourage everybody to check out her work you can find more about heather on clayandbuck.com heather thank you so much such an honor, Clay and Buck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look, uh, winter storms causing a lot of disruptions all over the country right now. Certainly many of you out there listening, especially if you're in Texas or in the South where winter storms are not that common, know exactly what I'm talking about. My kids are out of school right now. Hopefully that's not going to create any massive disruptions in the flow of goods. But given the transportation crisis that we've seen under the Biden administration, given the population shortages for so many different products out there on the shelves, do you have food security? Do you have food insurance? We do in the Travis household. Each member of my house has three months of food that will last up to 25 years in our house. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, 2,000 calories a day, thanks to My Patriot Supply. Wife was really excited when this arrived on the front doors. 
and I have taken care of my family's emergency food needs for years and years into the future. Have you probably got home insurance, car insurance, life insurance, so many different forms of insurance out there. Food insurance can make a big difference, and you can get hooked up today at MyPatriotSupply.com. Save $200 on your three-month emergency food kits while you can. Kits are in stock. They ship fast and free. They arrive in unmarked boxes, so nobody knows what you're getting, but you will, and you'll have food security. can make a big difference. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Join what my family has already done by taking care of your family's food insurance. Save $200 at MyPatriotSupply.com. Learn and laugh. Weekdays with Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. It's embarrassing for people like me that say I live in a sanctuary city. I think that we should live up to that promise. You know, the town of Ellis Island, as Eric Adams referenced there, no one who got off that boat said inside is worse than outside, right? Or food is worse than no food. Those are your options. You legally do not belong here, at least at this point. I hope you will get a pathway to citizenship. I hope that you will be a great contributor to the New York economy and then to the greater United States economy. But at this particular moment, you're here by the grace of our generosity. And to act like that is terrible. So that's Jessica Tarlov on Fox. She's a Democrat. uh, And she recognizes, because I think everybody who's being honest recognizes, this migrant situation in New York City is a disaster for the open borders advocates and the the you know pro illegal immigration nonprofit groups out there the hard left of the democrat party let me just update everybody to where we are we mentioned this story yesterday that by the way the the reports are that the hotel that they were in clay is actually a 450 dollar a night hotel so it's, let me just cut you off there for a second how many people listening to us right now have ever stayed in a $450 or night hotel room in their lives. I, I bet it's like 10%. I, I, I want to point out that the activists and protesters, left-wing activists and these illegal immigrants, okay, they do not have a right to be in this country. They entered, They all entered the country illegally, and now they're trying to play games with, and I'll get into this in a second because it goes to the very heart of this issue, trying to play games with our system and with our generosity and it's it's gross it's wrong what's going on here people are really seeing this first of all these are you have all these video of these able-bodied males you know guys in their 20s and 30s who are who are saying we need we need this free not just free housing free luxury hotel in the middle of new york city claim now they're demanding for uh, this is you can't make this stuff up they're saying the facility they're supposed to be moved to, which is a government facility in Brooklyn, full of Brooklyn's like the most lib place you'll ever find in the country, by the way. Um, and they're trying to move them to Brooklyn and they're saying the beds are uncomfortable there and they think it's, <laughs> they think it's a little too cold in the facility. So, so the beds are too hard for them and the facility isn't as inviting. As the $500 a night hotel that they've been staying in in Midtown, you know, no crap, right? Like, we all can figure this one out. And I think some of them are starting to process this. Uh Uh-oh, this isn't just making us look deeply ungrateful to the American people, which they are. It also raises an enormous issue here of, hold on a second, Clay, these are asylum seekers. Asylum is supposed to be 
I, you know, I, I, I fled this country and I, I'm here in America. If you send me back, I will be tortured and murdered. That is what asylum is for. Okay, asylum is not, yeah, I like your welfare state and your jobs market's pretty cool. That's immigration. We have a line for that. We have a process for that. They're claiming to be asylum seekers who are fleeing violence. Their very lives are at risk. And the moment they're actually shown what's going on in Manhattan and the taxpayers' largesse, it turns around to, no, you have to give us vouchers. You have to move money from the police budget, which is the demand, to give us vouchers for permanent housing. Pay for our fancy homes. I don't think they were fleeing violence, Clay. The American people have been had. It's unacceptable. And just put this into perspective of your own life. Imagine if you went to a different country today. Imagine if you went into Mexico, penniless and poor, and they put you in one of the fanciest hotels in one of the uh, best cities in that entire country, and then you complain because they moved you to a new hotel because the bed wasn't comfortable enough for you. This is this is crazy. And again, it goes to what we were talking about yesterday, incentives. Incentives govern individual decisions. And the incentives in the United States immigration are all aligned with people who are non-natives. So if you come to this country, you get taken care of, way better by and large than you can just live in other countries so it's not a surprise that people come here and then it's amazing how quickly these people become entitled that they're feeling comfortable complaining about the quality of the beds and the temperature in the place where they are staying when they are getting to stay there for free on your and mine's taxpayer dollars it's one thing to be frustrated about the social security apparatus, right? The welfare state, when we are supporting people who are American citizens, that can be frustrating. I think the tax code is way too generous to people who don't want to work. My personal opinion. It's infuriating on a different level when our tax system is far too generous to people who aren't even citizens of the United States, Buck. So even Democrats, I think, Look at this. And I, there's a bunch of Democrats, I bet, listening to us right now who have come over to this show because they are frustrated with the policy. In fact, when you look at every single administrative action of the Biden administration, fuck, overwhelmingly the area that Biden, and he's touched a lot of things and made it worse, the area that he pulls the worst on, immigration and our border. It's an abject failure no matter what your political leanings are, and every single thing we do provides incentives to make it worse. Remember, the mayor of New York City has been saying these illegal uh, migrants are costing the city too much money. They've also got the problem a lot of uh, high-income, high-earning uh, New Yorkers have left and become yep. other. they become Tennesseans and Texans and Floridians and Mostly those, but a few other, a uh, few other states. No state income and, tax there, by the way. If you're out there listening to us right now and you are frustrated with your taxes, Buck, it makes a big difference to have no state income tax. You know, I gotta say, I love South Carolina and Georgia as places to visit. 
They got to get to zero state income tax. It's crazy. I think it's five point something percent in South Carolina. I don't know what it is in Georgia. It might be about the same. That's, they're missing out. There's a gold rush of happy taxpayers right now who have moved to those states we just mentioned. And, you know, Georgia and South Carolina should be getting a lot. They're getting some of that flow, to be fair, because it's still lower cost of living and lower tax than New York and California, to be sure. It's a 50% discount. But, you know, you got to get it down. And it's also just going to show, you know, you can't just, why do these states like New York have such massive budgets? It is all Medicaid and the bureaucracy. So welfare and bureaucrats. That's why, and by the way, it's mostly paying for retired bureaucrats. It's mostly the pensions, the servicing of the pensions for people who worked for the city 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever yeah. it may be. And that's just an unsustainable model when there are other states that present better opportunities and people will go to. And so just to, to, to close the loop here on this situation in New York City, you know, the, the, the fact that, that the city of New York is paying, uh, for, for migrants who are illegals to be in a hotel in the first place like this is, is crazy. Yes. I mean, it's madness. If you're a homeless New Yorker, and you and you go you show up to homeless services in New York City, which they're spending a couple of billion dollars a year, by the way, on that. Uh, you know, you, you wouldn't be told, "Hey, here's your voucher to go stay in a five hundred dollar a night hotel." Although I think during COVID they did start to change some of this, where you know hot, hotels because there was no tourism started to take this money to become effectively taxpayer funded homeless shelters. That was going on, but this is crazy. There's no way to defend it. And I don't even think anybody in the Biden administration could defend it. And I would love to hear how this is in any way making the situation better. Because every single person, while they may complain about the beds and the temperature not being to their full uh, uh, desire, think about if you get to stay in a four-star hotel. When you go into that hotel, if you are an American citizen, regardless of where you listening to us right now sleep, it's a nice environment, but you're already an American. Imagine you lived in a third world country, came to America, got put in a four-star hotel in the middle of Manhattan. You're telling every single person back in your country how rich America is that you get to come here and stay in a fancy hotel. You know what that leads to? Millions of more people coming to the border. So it's not just that it's indefensible to make this decision. It's that bucket actually seeds the ground, providing the incentive structure for things to get infinitely worse. And, and I want to remind everyone that the activist left in New York, people speaking on behalf of these migrants, are demanding at a time of New York City still way above the crime rates of three years ago and in serious decay. And I know New York City like the back of my hand. It is not what it used to be. It has been going downhill. And I love New York, but it is in rough shape. Clay, they're demanding people move, that the city move funds from the NYPD to permanent housing vouchers for these migrants to pay their rent. How many people listening to this who live in the New York area be like, yeah, pay my rent too while you're yeah. at it? No, it's it, it's indefensible. And it should be something that gets attacked soundly by all parts of the political spectrum. Uh, look, on Monday, we told you about a huge cell phone service provider breach at T-Mobile. Do you know 37 million customers had their personal information compromised? Uh, and that's not uncommon. Every single week, there's a new company 
announcing that its personal data has been breached and your information may be out there circulating on the internet. Uh, that means there's enough info to set up accounts in your name. Uh, and what's the easiest way for a cyber thief to pretend to be you online? Uh, well, by using all of your different information. That's why you need online identity theft protection from LifeLock. When you have LifeLock, you get their system scanning online transactions, new account openings, hundreds of millions of those going all the time. They're looking for evidence of wrongdoing. They're looking for your name being shared. And if they see it, they share it with you immediately. That's when you can decide if you're a victim of identity theft. LifeLock has the right people to help you know if that's the case. Now, remember, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year with the promo code CLAY. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go online to LifeLock.com. Use that promo code CLAY, C-L-A-Y, for 25% off. Subscribe to CNB 24-7 and never miss a minute of Clay and Buck while getting behind the... Clam comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seen access to special content for members only. Closing up shop today on Clay and Buck. And, you know, Clay, I, I have to I have to point something out here. Um, you know, I'm getting married in a few days, and so I'm running short on time. And I, I have a bone to pick with you because you had told me that Yellowstone was a very good show. I was a little skeptical. 
And now not only am I am I caught up to season five of Yellowstone recently, I've started to kind of just rip through it. I'm also watching 1923 or 20. I don't even remember what it is, but the one with Harrison Ford, which yeah. is also very good. And 1883, which is also very this guy, um, you know, Taylor who, Sheridan, Taylor Sheridan. This guy has built an empire just by executing in different eras a similar concept, and it's all very watchable. So you're eating up a lot of the time that I'm supposed to be looking at floral arrangements. I'm just saying. I blame you. I'm impressed on, uh, first of all, those shows are good. Um, and uh, and I'd encourage people out there who are, you know, kind of fed up with woke proga- programming that I think you'll probably like it. You are getting married on Saturday, right? Yeah. You are doing the show on Friday and Monday, which is impressive. And you leave for your honeymoon when? Next week. Late, late next week. The following week, yeah. So uh, so how much time has gone into wedding planning versus honeymoon planning? You know, we, we look, Carrie and I have a very straightforward approach to this. Uh, we decided. You're not having a massive hundreds of person wedding. Just family. Immediate yeah. family, really. Uh, and, and, a, and a couple of, uh, she's having effectively a couple of maids of honor. And I'm just bringing my immediate family, and we're keeping so there will it really be what small. like 20 people there. Uh, yeah, we'll be just shy of 30. Yeah, that's good. Something like that. My my advice to people out there, and I would say this to my own sons uh, and Mike Leach, uh, rest in peace, former coach of Mississippi State, Texas Tech, Washington State, has said this publicly before. Eloping's not a bad move. When you have gone through what a wedding cost. When you uh, start to consider all the different moving parts associated with it, small wedding, which you're doing, I think is a good move, or eloping is not a bad move. I got married 19 years ago, almost. Laura handled everything because I was taking the bar exam. I got married like a week after I took the bar exam. And I knew nothing other than, hey, you're supposed to stand here and walk down. Now, I will say this. I said it on the show the other day. I got the worst haircut known to man that my wife is still angry about. So I would the one bit of advice I would give to men out there, don't make any aggressive decisions when it comes to personal grooming that substantially might alter the way you look. I, I told Kara, I said, you know, maybe I'll just shave my beard before the wedding. Hard pass. She she threw the veto on that one. Yellow flag on the field. Pass interference. Unacceptable. Beard stays. So I said, okay, beard stays. So that was we we averted disaster on on that one I would say, and uh, you know for, for me I just I'm I you know I, I used to be a person I feel like back in my my twenties I threw a fair amount of parties, and what you realize is I think it's really hard to enjoy things when you're responsible for the enjoyment of so many others, and that was part of what led us to the path of just just immediate family. It's going to be really really simple and and straightforward. I have seen, I mean I I was at a wedding. Where a bride had a full on like Meltdown. panic attack, not because of a problem with the groomer, but because it was like the hottest day on record. It was a July wedding. It was mostly outside. It was a hundred plus degrees. It was a black tie wedding and people were basically passing out. And she's like, what do I do? You know, it's like, I don't need that. You know, I, yeah. I don't want that. I think if you went back and I know if Laura called in right now, my wife, she would say, Everything about the wedding was great, except Clay got the worst haircut that he has ever had in the entirety of our life. Wait, wait, Clay, hold on. There ne- photos or it didn't happen, my friend. Clayandbuck.com. Yeah, we you need can some. Reach, you can reach out. We'll put some up on Clayandbuck.com if my wife will permit it. But it was 
I've I've had a I've had bad bowl cut haircuts before. This was a it's a really bad haircut. I probably should have gone back in and uh, yeah. and gotten it redone. I, I, I don't know if my little brother is listening to the show today, but this reminds me. Um, and I, I I you know how there are like memories when you're a kid. I remember hearing the shriek from my mother still, <laughs> the shriek of like of just sheer panic when I I must have been he must have been four and so i would have been you know maybe nine or ten years old and i remember thinking oh no something terrible has happened to my little brother and and i i kind of go running in and of course my mom had shrieked because he had little crayola safety scissors not you know scissors that you can't really cut yourself with but he had managed to give himself a haircut that was like like a square going up to sort of the middle of his scalp I mean, he almost looked like a like a ninth century monk or something. I mean, it was he cut his hair all the way back on his head with these Crayola scissors, <laughs> and that, he still gets mad when I bring this up because in the photos for about six months afterwards, he you know he looked like uh, he looked like he had been through some stuff. Little four year my little four year old brother at the time. Because what I do remember- you do? You're not going to put a toupee on him. My kids were around. Uh, my youngest was about four years old. It reminds me of this this hair situation. We were getting off the airplane. We were waiting to get our bags, and my seven year old put his gum in my four year old's hair. And you know, my four year old still has. I mean, my middle son still has super long hair. But I just remember how. Like, why would you ever think to do that? Why you know? It's one thing to get your own gum in your own hair. He put his gum in his brother's hair. We were trying to get the uh, trying to get the bags off the conveyor belt. We were traveling, and I just remember thinking, "This is utterly ridiculous." Like, how do you end up in this situation? Um, but uh, but you know, parenthood, you got something to look forward to soon after uh, you maybe uh, get married on Saturday. Yeah, but will, you're going to be here Friday and Monday. Yeah, yeah, of course. I want to, you know, the, the audience is part of the fam. They got to hear about how the whole ceremony went. So I'll tell you guys about it, all that. Um, but I, I do remember also during the pandemic, it's true, you know, true story. I got scissors sent because you couldn't get a haircut. And I started to look well, you like you were in New York, which is just crazy. Right. No, you couldn't do anything. For how long could you not get a haircut in New York City? I mean, like I think I went four, four or five months with no haircuts allowed of any kind, you know? And I remember everyone was also terrified. So it's not even like you could get your friend who cuts hair because everyone's like, Oh, COVID. They're all freaked yeah. out. So I cut my own hair and I, I can tell you it, you think you're good at it when you're doing it. And then it grows a little more, you know, in time and you realize, no, I was not good at cutting. I, my I own would hair. never think I was good at it. Now I would. I remember the Floby back in the day that they would sell where you could cut your hair. I probably would have. Uh, they they didn't. Uh, haircut places open back up soon in uh, the free state of Tennessee uh, and also Florida, where I was. But I would have just gone straight buzz, probably if uh, if I had had to cut my hair because I otherwise wouldn't have yeah. been able to do it. I, I I think that going buzz cut is very uh, very ergon- ergonomic and yeah. uh, aerodynamic. But people would see the shockingly large size of my cranium, <laughs> and and I would scare small children, look like a space alien. So well, I don't think I could do it. Also, when you get to be our age, there's always that fear when you, you like cut your hair back. Is it going to come back? Is, is it all going to come back in like normal? Yeah. And there's, I mean, you get into your 40s, a lot of guys out there nodding their heads along. You, you, you might have had hair for a long time. You go get that buzz. Next thing you know, it doesn't come back in like it did before. Our buddy Jesse Kelly taking a shot at him here. Can look at him. No way he can deal with a buzz cut. <laughs> 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.